We turn to the word of God this morning. I'm taking a reading from 2 Corinthians. I trust you have your Bibles with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and reading from verse 7 down to the end of verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and beginning at the 7th verse. The apostle wrote, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. May God be pleased to bless to us this portion of his word this morning. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the testimony that we heard from Tim we thank you for your mercies and for your grace to the children of men. And we thank you for your word, which is a living word, a transforming word. And we come to your word this morning and we ask for ourselves, O oh God, that eyes will see something new, something fresh, that our hearts will be warmed by your spirit, and that you would work on our wills, that our faith will be that which is manifested by doing 
and not simply by hearing. So grant us your grace, we pray together. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for they are many. Grant that we will see no man save Jesus Christ alone. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Augustine of Hippo, that great fourth century bishop and theologian, is recorded to have called the 23rd Psalm the martyr's hymn. And he called it that, for it was with this Psalm on the lips of many early Christians as they faced the lions, as they felt the sword, as they endured the flames. And as I've pondered upon the psalm, I've come to the conclusion that uh, Augustine was quite correct. Not simply because the psalm is associated with martyrs, but because it is a psalm that deals with martyrdom itself. Let me explain my reasoning as we continue to explore the, the depths of this opening verse. Psalm 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The first thing that, that I, I want you to, to think about with me is this, and and, and, and I use that, that word think uh, because uh, the Lord expects his worshiping people to be a, a thinking people. I was reminded recently that uh, uh, worship is not about how you feel. It's about what you know. And so this is what we're focusing upon, what we are to learn together, because Christianity is a thinking man's religion. So what have we got here? Well, the first point that I would put to you is this. As his sheep, we experience his choosing of us. As his sheep, we experience his choosing of us. What do I mean? Well, ask yourself this question. How does a sheep get into a particular flock? Now, I have never been an actual shepherd. Uh, I've never been a sheep farmer. But I surmise that the answer to that question is this. Sheep are either born into the fold, or they are purchased and brought into the fold. Whatever the case, the sheep knows its shepherd and knows that it belongs to the shepherd because of the action of the shepherd. And this point is well illustrated in the life of David himself. If you were to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, you'll see how it was that David, the youngest, was chosen to become the king of Israel. The answer is summarized in the 78th Psalm. 
Psalm 78 and verse 70 says, God, the Lord, he chose David, his servant, and brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people. God chose David. And the same surely is said of Israel itself. I'm thinking of the words of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 8. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. And when you come to the New Testament, what do you discover? John chapter 15 and verse 16. The words of Jesus himself. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, listen to these words. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothings that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. But because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. The clear conclusion surely is this. It's the shepherd who chooses his sheep and not the sheep, the shepherd. And so to say, the Lord is my shepherd is our acknowledgement of the action of the shepherd in our life. It is the action of the shepherd. And furthermore, it points to the fact that it's all due to the affection of the shepherd. The affection of the shepherd. For why did God choose Israel? Will you go back? to that seventh chapter of Deuteronomy. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, but simply because the Lord loves you. The Lord's love is behind it all. This is the truth, is it not, that Paul brings out in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 6. In love, he predestined us to become what? The children of God. The words of 1 John 4, 19. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. The words of Jeremiah 3, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's because he loved us first.
from eternity, that in time he acted for us. So that the message of the gospel is the message about God. It's about who he is. It's about what he has done. Paul declares the whole gospel in the book of Romans, and he comes in that eighth chapter, and phrase by phrase, he directs us to the, the working and to the will and to the wonders of God in our salvation. And then he completes that whole exercise by his doxology from him and through him and to him be glory forever and ever. Salvation is the work of God in the lives of men and women. And so Paul says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And so my question this morning, brother, brothers and sisters, is this. Do we know the work of God in our lives? Because my friends, Jesus is no meek mild-mannered man who walks past the sheep pen hoping against hope that some sheep will approach him and accept him. Never. That would be absurd. He is the one who chooses. He is the one who calls. He is the one who lovingly draws men and women and boys and girls to himself. He is the one who, who powerfully constrains us. He is the one who personally convicts us by his spirit so that we see what we've never seen before, and that is that we are sinners who need a savior, and the only savior who can save us from our sin is the good shepherd. Jesus Christ the Lord. And so we come embraced and drawn by his love. And we sing the words of Charles Wesley. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. As his sheep. We enjoy being his, and it's all due to his action for us. He chose us to be his sheep. And why? His affection for us. As I said, it's all about love, an amazing love which God has had for us in defiance of our own unloveliness and a love which captures our heart for God, whom by nature we hate, resent, and fear, and would never love. But he makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. As his sheep, we experience his choosing of us. So what is our response? Well, my second point this morning to you is this. As his sheep, we recognize his calling for us. 
As his sheep, we recognize his calling for us. That is, we recognize his work and his will for us. The words of John 10 and verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And as a result of hearing that voice, what do they do? They follow him. Now, there are, there are two factors here, illustrated by David and Jesus, and declared by the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The two factors are these. Shepherds were also sovereigns. David was both a shepherd and a king. Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, is also what? King of all the kings and Lord of all the lords. And therefore, as his sheep, we recognize his authority over us for he is our shepherd. And as his subjects, we recognize his authority over us because he is our sovereign. He is our king. Which then leads me to ask, for what purpose are sheep purchased and possessed? Why does the Lord the shepherd Choose his sheep in love. Well, as there were two factors, there's two functions. A sheep is brought into the fold, purchased and brought, for either one of two reasons. Either for the shearing shed, for their wool, or for the slaughterhouse, their meat. When you read the Bible, which one is the most prominent? The slaughterhouse. The slaughterhouse. We have been saved, my dear Christian brother and sister. We have been saved in order to suffer. That's our calling. Suffering, pain, persecution, not health and wealth or success is at the heart of Christianity. What was Paul's ministry and message? He was going from congregation to congregation. It's recorded in Acts 14, verse 22. He was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through much tribulation, not the tribulation, but through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. Because, you see, this was the way of the Son. Jesus was at one and the same time the good shepherd and the lamb of God. 
And so the picture that is presented to us in Revelation 5 and verse 6. John says, I saw one like a lamb that had been slaughtered standing in the midst of the throne. The way of the sun was the cross. Yea, he now sits on the throne, but it was via a tree. He is the suffering servant of God. That was the way of the son. Well, the words of the son. Well, listen to them. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, taking up our cross does not mean having to put up with just some difficulty that we might find in our life. It's not speaking here about maybe some hardship that we may have, someone that just, just don't get on with some inconvenience that we, we have to try and manage. And oftentimes you hear people say, well, you know, I've, uh, th- this, is, this is my cross. No, 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 no. To take up your cross means wholehearted obedience and willing submission and joyful surrender to our Lord and King, Christ Jesus. Jesus calls us to follow him, to choose the cross, knowing that people only do one thing on the cross, and that is they die. And that's what he's calling us to. That's the call of the Christian. So that we say, not my will. As I may use Tim's illustration, not my book but God's will, God's will. That's his word to us. Because what is the will of the son? What was God's will for the apostle Paul? Why did he choose Paul? Listen to it. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Friends, the truth is, suffering is not merely what God allows. It's what he appoints for us. Have you ever noticed the words of the end of chapter 1 of Philippians? Philippians 1.29. The apostle writes, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And that that English word granted, it's the word grace. And Paul is saying here, God has, has graced you to faith. We're saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We've been saved by grace, but in accordance with that, in line with that, associated with that, linked to that, we have grace to suffer also with him. This is our calling. So what does that look like? During the 1970s, Yosef Ton was a prominent Baptist pastor in Romania. He pastored the largest church in the country. 
Whenever he would conclude a gospel message and give an invitation to people to, to stand, to declare their intent to follow Jesus, he would say this to the congregation. Tonight, there are, as usual, secret police scattered amongst this congregation. These were communist times. Ceausescu. And if you would take a stand, he would say to the people, if you would take a stand tonight to follow Jesus, I want you to know that if you stand tonight, you may lose your job, you may be imprisoned, you may be interrogated, you may lose your home, and your children will never be allowed to pursue any further education. So knowing what it's going to cost you if you want to follow Jesus, now I invite you to stand if you want to follow Jesus. And with, with such preaching and such clear challenges and such a clear message that there was no reason why revival broke out right across Romania in the midst of that darkness. God did wonderful things. My friends, affliction and persecution are not a danger to the Christian church. But affluence and abundance and apathy, these are the things that are a danger to the church. Accommodating ourselves to this world and its values and its outlook and its thinking, these are dangers to the church. Peace and prosperity and worldly power are to be feared, not persecution. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the one in authority over us. And so belonging to him, he has the right to do with us as he pleases. Including, as Paul quotes Psalm 44 we are to be regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, do we realize these things? Are we aware of these things? Is that call to follow, to take up your cross, a characteristic of your own personal faith in Christ? What's it costing you to follow Jesus? As his sheep, we experience his choosing of us. And as his sheep, we recognize his calling for us. And thus, thirdly and finally, as his sheep, we accept his challenge to us. The psalmist says, I shall not want. And what do we have here? We'll have a promise and a pledge, a promise. We rightly apply these words in a general way, believing that surely 
the Lord our shepherd will supply all of our needs day by day. He will supply our daily bread. He will supply for us everything that we need for life and for godliness. But allow me to suggest a more particular application, given the context of pain and suffering and persecution. And that is that in those days that are dark, when the going is tough, when we find ourselves in that valley of deep darkness, when, when death, as it were, almost stares us in the face, it will be then that he will supply the strength that we need. It will be then that he will supply the courage that we need. It will be then that he will supply the faith and the grace. I shall not want is the testimony, my friends, of the martyr. You know, a few years ago, Christine and I uh, stood on the middle of a very busy road in Oxford in, in the UK. Uh, some of you may have done the same and know the spot. There's an X on the road. You're standing on the very spot where in 1555, Ridley and Latimer were burned at the stake. Thomas Cranmer met the same fate a little later. And I've often thought about those, those men and, uh, and those women, many, many like them, right up to our present day. And looked at their, their courage and their composure and their commitment as they, as they embraced the flames or they fell on the sword or spear. And I look at them and wonder because, you know, uh, I burned my finger once and it hurt. And I thought, I'm not made of martyr stuff. But listen... Listen, as well as a particular promise, as a gracious pledge, and that is when the trial comes, when the hour we have dreaded arrives, then and only then will our good shepherd supply the courage and the composure and everything else that we lack. You see, today's grace is sufficient for today. Don't expect tomorrow's grace today. We have been called to walk by faith, and a faith that believes morning by morning new mercies I see. And so those words, I shall not want, those words are a confession of faith, faith in the shepherd who is acquainted with us and who will attend to us. As the hymn writer put it, day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best lovingly. It's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Day 
by day. So let me address some remarks as I close. First to the young people and to the young adults. We live today in a comfort-worshipping culture. This, this generation spends more time entertaining itself than any generation of people who have ever lived in the world. That's the culture you young people are growing up in. And you know it. Will you, will you be the tough-minded Christians the Lord expects his disciples to be? Will you apply your mind to knowing God? Will you embrace the challenge of the cross? Will you step out of your culture and comfort zone? And face the demands of a godly life with a willing, eager spirit. Have you that wholehearted, unqualified, extravagant devotion to Jesus that expects to be suffered for his sake? I take you back to Yusuf Tom. Before he was a pastor in Romania, He'd been a student at Oxford in England. He studied theology. And when he'd finished, he thought about going back to Romania. He knew what the situation was like there, but he thought of going back. And so he asked some of his fellow students about his return to Romania. And he said, they pointed out that I may be arrested at the border. And one student asked Joseph, what chances do you have of successfully implementing your plans? The plans of preaching the gospel. And Yosef said, I smiled and said to myself, now this is typical Western thinking, chances of success? I never thought in those terms. My thinking was in terms of obedience. So I asked God about it. And he answered me in the words of Matthew 10, 16. I'm sending you like a lamb into a pack of wolves. Tell me, asked the Lord, what chance does a sheep surrounded by wolves have of surviving five minutes, let alone converting the wolves? Yosef, that's how I'm sending you, totally defenseless and without a reasonable hope of success. And if you're not willing to be in that position, don't go, don't go. Totally defenseless and without a reasonable hope of success. My dear friends, young and old alike, are we willing to be in that position? 
willing to bank our whole life on Christ Jesus, being sold out completely to the good shepherd, willing for whatever he sovereignly decrees. My young person, young adults, fellow pensioners, are we willing to walk the Calvary road by God's enabling and powering grace? Will you take up the challenge and live only for the glory of God alone? The 23rd Psalm is the martyr's psalm. It calls upon us to die to all our dreams and schemes and desires that we may follow the Lamb wherever he leads. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear. Help us to listen. And speak to us. Speak, Lord, in the stillness while we wait on thee. Hush our hearts to listen with expectancy. Father, what would you say to us? What would you say to me? How fully committed am I? How total is my life given over to Jesus? Our Father, work in us that which is good and pleasing in your sight for your grace that we need for the glory of your name. Amen.